Revolutionaries, authors, teachers, and regular people from the African community. We aim to bring you an African internationalist analysis on all things important to winning our freedom from colonialism. The root of all our problems. Why I'm poor. The colonial virus keeps me at war. The colonial virus. Yo, that thing gotta go. We can't take no more of Down with the colonial virus. Uhuru! Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Dexter Mlinwingu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. In this episode, we look at the mass deportations and brutal violence inflicted on African people from Haiti, taking place at the colonial border between the U.S. and Mexico. In late September 2021, images of Haitian refugees being corralled by U.S. Border Patrol agents mounted on horseback at the border crossing in the southwest Texas city of Del Rio emerged. One image showed a mounted border cop wielding a whip as he attacked African refugees from Haiti. These photographs sparked immediate comparisons to images from the colonial enslavement of African people. As many as 15,000 women, children, and men from Haiti were being held captive in barracoons under a bridge in Del Rio, Texas. Over the past few weeks, thousands of people from Haiti have arrived at the U.S.-Mexico border. The Biden administration has been deporting them upon arrival. At least 2,000 migrants have been flown to Haiti, and 8,000 others have been forced to return to Mexico. The events in Del Rio, Texas, are not separated from the anti-colonial struggle for African liberation. These images that we see in 4K of horrific, unjust treatment of Africans by the colonizers today are representative of the persistent efforts of European colonial projects to rob the African nation writ large of our lives, lands, natural wealth, and basic human dignity for the purpose of elevating the material conditions of the few at the cost of the indigenous, African, and working-class people of the world. Haiti was the site of the first workers' revolution, and the people of Haiti will surely play an essential role in the freedom of Africans and all colonized and oppressed people. To discuss this with us today, we have Elika Ngoma. Elika is the Haiti editor for the Burning Spear newspaper, where she provides revolutionary analyses on the struggles in IET, Haiti. Her family is from Haiti. She speaks Creole and maintains a close connection to politics in Haiti. She has done extensive research on Haiti, 
the Haitian Revolution, and other cultural and political events coming out of Haiti and the Caribbean. Alikia is known as a revolutionary musician. Alikia's recording Colonial Virus serves as the intro and outro music for our very own People's World Radio Show. In December 2020, Alikia released the album Freedom in a Mix, an African internationalist album that combined a variety of African musical genres and promoted a way forward for African unity and liberation. One of our tracks, La Mupu Aiti, asks, what kind of love do you have for Haiti? Let's take a listen.
qu'on grandit la donne plus font mal que bien. Mais il faut comprendre que l'environnement ça pas existé contre son système qui crée. Et c'est contre le système non pour nous. C'est pas contre chaque monde individuellement, c'est contre le système. Aliki Ngoma with Lanmu Pu Aiti. Uhuru, Aliki, and welcome back to the People's War Radio Show. Uhuru, Dr. Masmela and Brother Dexter, thank you for having me back on. Uhuru, Uhuru. So we begin with your song, Lanmu Pu Aiti. So let me ask you this question What kind of love do you have for Haiti? Uhuru, I have revolutionary love for Haiti. Um, you may not know, but in the song, it actually describes love as ensuring that everybody has access, that students have access to an education and to food, and that the parents have access to being able to take care of their children. So this is the kind of love that we should be having for IET, and it is the kind of love that I have as well. So on that note, we opened the show talking about the situation in Del Rio, Texas. What can you tell us about the situation in Del Rio, Texas? I'm sorry, there was a truck passing by, so I had to let it pass by. Um, currently in Del Rio, Texas, there are over 14,000 uh, people that you know the U.S. identifies as immigrants um, that are at the border waiting to be deported. And over half of them are Africans from Haiti. And so Joe Biden and his administration have actually been sending about six to eight flights per day uh, deporting these people from Haiti. Uh, with these Africans in particular, uh, many of them have come into the country from uh, this path that has been common over the past few years that the Haitian community is, gener is generally aware of where, um, and I may be getting the order of countries wrong, but they go through Chile, um, Brazil, uh, Venezuela, Mexico, and then they make it in. And so the reason why so many have made it in, in this particular moment where there was an influx is because they were trying to make it in to be on American or so-called American soil so that the TPS, which had been granted to people from Haiti after the 2010 earthquake, uh, January 10, 2010, earthquake, which allowed people temporary stay. And over the few years, um, the expiration date had been moving back and back. So people had been granted stay. People were trying to make it in so that they could be on American soil. 
um, and be, hopefully be able to stay in the country that way. So that is what's currently happening. And then uh, there have been images of uh, people on, you know, border patrols on horses, you know, just being brutal with the Africans there. And they are just in, in horrible conditions. I want to add that I have seen a video of one African who had been deported, who was revealing to the media in Creole that while they're on their planes, their hands and feet are chained and they unchained them right before they got off of the flight so that the journalist would not see. But um, there's brutal treatment happening even on the planes themselves. Uhuru. 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 Yeah, I, I really appreciate that answer. Alikia, I mean, what's what's going on at the borders? Um, it's inhumane, like the treatment that people are experiencing over there. Um, you know, you touched on the images just briefly, but um, I remember seeing a lot of the images themselves, and they were just really um, you know, jarring. So, you know, what was your like your immediate response to the images of these um armed border patrols, you know, corralling these Africans on horseback? Yeah, when it comes to the treatment of Africans from Haiti in particular, you know, this is the kind of treatment that we get in any countries. Um, such as in Chile or Brazil, as I mentioned earlier, where so many uh, Haitians went to those countries after the January 12, 2010 earthquake. Um, and, you know, they had been, quote unquote, invited by these countries. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that they've just been living, you know, in very inhumane conditions in many in many parts they've been even living in stables like actual stables um and have been going through um a kind of experience that is not exactly comparable to colonial slavery but it is the the term that people do use to explain what it is that they have been experiencing so i was not surprised at all to see that you know people on horses were whipping mm-hmm. um you know, these, uh, you know, our brothers and sisters. Right, right, right. So, like, as far as, uh, you know, Haitian people's uh, reactions, just like, you know, the world over, like, what have you seen amongst the community of uh, people from Haiti as far as their reaction to this? Yes, um, I've seen a lot of condemnation of the United States. I've seen a lot of support for our brothers and sisters. I have seen where a lot of Haitian people throughout the U.S. have been, trying to make their way to the border um, so that they can lend some kind of support. I have even seen photos of people like at the airports in Haiti where the planes are being dropped off, where people are standing there with um, signs that have um, like pat, like um, like placards mm-hmm. and signs normally used for protests. Right. But they have encouraging words for the people who are coming in saying things like, you know, we stand with you and, you know, in life sometimes you just have to start over and just very other encouraging kinds of words. So as far as the community itself, there has been uh, uh, an outpour of support for uh, for the people and then also uh, severe condemnation for what the Biden administration is doing. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. Like, thanks for that. You know, I know for a fact that This is only the recent flare-up in a migrant crisis dating back over 10 years in its current phase. So what has caused this uh, recent wave of migrants coming to the border? The conditions of the people in in Haiti where, you know, because of neocolonialism and the U.S. presence and U.S. colonialism in Haiti, 
has made the country extremely unlivable. And that is when you're talking about, you know, a, a country with no infrastructure, no institutions, probably four hospitals maximum, if that many, in a country of 12 million people. Um, when you're talking about a country that has all these state-sponsored gangs that the regime of Jovenel Moïse was funding directly and a lot of other government officials still fund directly, uh, where you know that led to an increase of kidnapping of different kinds of people. All kinds of people uh, were being kidnapped, raped, and murdered. You have the increasing cost of living that you know just continues to rise in a country where there is no work, there is no real labor force. Um, there are those who, you know, many uh, people who work for themselves, as in, you know, they sell things or, you know, people who sell sandals, people who sell fruit or things out of their garden. So you have that kind of economy, but there's no real actual economy in Haiti. And so, you know, it makes it that you have to leave the country. That is the option that most people end up taking, or let me not say most, because most people are still in the country itself, but many people dream of taking, and those who get the chance to leave the country, that's what they do. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we're discussing the mass deportation of Haitian people at the U.S.-Mexico border with Elike Ngoma, the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper. On January 12, 2010, a devastating 7.0 magnitude earthquake hit Haiti. This earthquake killed at least 300,000 people and left 1.5 million others homeless. And that was just one push factor for the current migration issue. Just last month, in, in August, uh, another earthquake, I believe that was a 7.2 um, magnitude earthquake, also hit Haiti. So, uh, Alika, can you just you know help us understand how the uh, earthquake impacted uh, Haitians moving in and out of uh, Haiti? Yes. Um, so, as you said, on January 12, 2010, there was a 7.0 magnitude. And actually, on August 14, 2021, there was a 7.2 magnitude earthquake that hit Haiti. And, you know, at the time of 2010... Uh, many people were just just looking to to leave the country, uh, especially those who were in the area where the earthquake actually hit. And so you had different um, ways that people were leaving. You had some families who their children were actually U.S. born, but uh, living in Haiti or being raised in Haiti. So those families who had children that were U.S. born were able to come into the U.S. that way. You had, like, as I said earlier, a lot of people making their way to Chile or in Brazil in hopes of starting a life there and getting work there. And then also, I just want to say that uh, there was a lot of kidnapping as well, too. The United Nations and United um, States were actually involved in uh, the kidnapping of a lot of Haitian children. But as far as, you know, those who actually intended to to leave the country, if they had family that was already in the U.S. to begin filing, you know, the type of paperwork that's necessary to get people in. And, you know, it's because when you live in a country like Haiti or any other country that has neocolonialism, 
an earthquake is a life-threatening thing as opposed to like how earthquakes hit California or how a tsunami might hit somewhere like Japan or somewhere that is more developed where we don't have the infrastructure, the buildings or the houses that people live in cannot hold against an earthquake. Um, when it comes to like hurricanes, for example, there's a lot, of, there's a massive deforestation in Haiti, which actually is directly tied to the deforestation in the Dominican Republic, but you don't have the trees to protect you from a hurricane and you know, there are no hospitals and, you know, so an earthquake is a, is a, is a, a tragedy in somewhere like Haiti. So that is what um, makes it that an earthquake means so many people would leave the country. Whereas if we had leaders that were not neo-colonial uh, and working for the United States and the United Nations, that leaders that were working in the interests of the people, an earthquake would not mean that 300,000 people would be dead, 1.5 million others would be homeless. Uhuru. Uhuru, Uhuru, Likia. So the earthquake was a significant push factor in the flight of African people from Haiti, yet there was also a significant pull in the demand for Haitian labor in Brazil and other parts of Latin America following the earthquake in 2010 and in subsequent years. So what can you tell us about some of those economic pull factors uh, drawing uh, African labor uh, from Haiti to uh, other parts of the Western Hemisphere? Yes, um, I can speak using Brazil um, specifically, but as, an, as a general example, um, as you know, the 2014 Olymp Olympics was hosted in Brazil and the Olympics is something that happens every four years. And, um, you know, they needed the kind of labor to build uh, not only the, the stadiums, but whatever else is necessary. And so it was, I, I would say, very opportunistic, you know, for for them to, after the earthquake, they put out that they wanted, you know, uh, Haitians to come into the country and work. And it was, you know, not only just for them to, to build their sort of kind of economy off of the labor of Africans from Haiti, but building for the world stage, even as, as I said, people were living in horrible, horrible conditions um, and people from IIT were targeted um, in particular, experiencing violence and other cruel kinds of treatment. So it really was just to build themselves off of the, the work and the desperation of so many people that were leaving a country and um, would do anything really to make some kind of um, a living or make some kind of income. So that was definitely a motivating factor as to why these invites, um, you know, were made. So, Lika, you touched on this before, but, um, you know, we just want to ask, you know, so what are some of the uh, other factors forcing uh, African people from Haiti outside of these countries? Uhuru, um, definitely the conditions, you know, it's not what they thought it would be. Not to say that they thought it would be, um, you know, the best life ever, but uh, in many ways, some people have actually, there's a number of people that actually moved back into Haiti over the years and expressing that, you know, they were living worse than what they left. Um, whether it's, you know, what people can call as, I'm putting it in quotation marks, you know, racism, but you know, the, the kind of prejudice that they experience in these other countries. Um, 
and, you know, exploitation of their labor or, you know, looking at trying to get into the United States as a quote unquote better country for them or um, those if they have family in these other places who, you know, who try to make it into France, uh, Canada and perhaps other parts of Europe, but mainly French speaking places. So it is it is definitely the kinds of um, humiliation, the kinds of um, violence and exploitation that they were being confronted with that would cause them to leave those countries. Uhuru, Uhuru, Alika, Alika. Now, you've written about the homelessness crisis in IET. What can you tell us about the deepening homelessness in Haiti? And also, how has this expanded in recent years and, in fact, in the recent weeks since the latest earthquake? Yes, um, I didn't write about the homeless crisis as such. I did write about, you know, recent events where there was a lot of infighting um, with gun violence between different state-sponsored gangs that I mentioned earlier. And so the crossfire between them and the ongoing shooting between those two gangs um, who represent, you know, different uh, parts of the government even and different senators and, and things like that forced over 8,500 people at one point to leave a, a whole community because it was too much um, gun violence between the gangs. So that's one instance of you have almost 10,000 people now being forced out of a community that's already impoverished um, and already in, in dire conditions, the, the particular communities that they've lived in. Um, and being forced out into the streets because you could say the gangs are taking them over because of their own um, infighting. And of course, that infighting represents, you know, the crisis of not only the crisis of imperialism and the crisis of colonialism, but even the crisis that exists between the neocolonial forces who cannot um, even be united as they are oppressing people, but they each want to be the power that is the oppressor. And then, of course, as I mentioned, um, the 2010 earthquake, which caused over 1.5 million um, Haitians to be homeless. And, you know, the number is still undetermined as far as this August, August 14 earthquake. But, you know, that is also another factor. So I think all three of those things point to neocolonialism, which in the Uhuru movement we say is white power and blackface as the reason why you know, Africans uh, in Haiti are constantly being forced into homelessness. It's either because of a quote unquote nat natural disaster, um, which is like a natural occurrence, but the disaster aspect is not natural, or because of one of these neocolonial crises um, that are taking place. You're listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU. Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we're discussing the mass deportation of Haitian people at the U.S.-Mexico border with Elikia Ngoma, the Haiti editor for the Burning Spear newspaper. So we always see in the news uh, Haiti being described as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. You know, just poor. No explanation, no analysis, just poor. Uh, Elikia, what would your response to that be? Uhuru, um, yes, I disagree with that characterization of Haiti as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere because, as you said, um, they never say how that got to be the case. It's just one of, you know, white powers 
narratives and their their imperialist lies against um you know against African people and in this case specifically against African people in Haiti because they don't talk about that during colonial slavery France considered IET to be the pearl of the Caribbean or the pearl of the Antilles um, because of how much wealth they were able to gain for themselves at the expense of our people in Haiti. Um, they also don't talk about how after the African Revolution of IET, um, which you know led to the independence date of January 1st, 1804, the US, France, Spain, and all of the white countries got together and created the first economic embargo on the Western Hemisphere, and that was against Haiti, and uh, forced the people of Haiti to pay France reparations for the loss of their property. And the property that they were talking about was us as African people ourselves. And so Haiti had been made to pay over $90 billion um, in gold if you were to convert it to today's gold prices. They also don't mention about the U.S. occupation of Haiti between 1915 and 1934, where um, not only did they, um, you know, occupy with Marines, they killed the leaders, they set up neocolonialism, but they stole every single ounce of gold that was um, in Haiti's treasury and brought it to New York City in the United States. So Haiti is a place that uh, is is being looted and it's always being impoverished. It's not poor, it's being stolen from, you know? So it's a lie to just say that Haiti is the poorest country in the Americas or the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. What should be said is that uh, the United States and uh, France, um, any wealth that they have or a lot, a large sum of the wealth they have comes from the theft of Haiti's resources. Uhuru. Uhuru Likia. Now, we opened up this episode by mentioning your album, Freedom in the Mix. On it, you had three tracks in Creole. In one of the tracks, Padim Aitipov, you take aim at this uh, idea of Haiti being the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Can you explain that track for us? Yes. So the track is much of what I just um, explained earlier, just in the the Haitian Creole language, um, where I said that, you know, the United States does not tell you why Haiti is poor, because for them to tell you why Haiti is poor, they would have to talk about their role in the poverty that is experienced by our people in Haiti. So instead, they'll just tell you that Haiti is poor as if it's something that just happened out of nowhere. One day, Haiti was rich. Uh, and the next day it was poor with no, you know, kind of solution or no kind of reason as to why that is the case. So I'm saying, don't tell me Haiti is poor if you're not going to tell me how or why Haiti is poor. Ooh. Thanks. And now that you've given us the description, let's take a listen to Padim Aitipov by Eliki Ngoma from her 2020 album, Freedom in the Mix. Isi? Nepotlea Palidaiti. Mopumo, Yoti Haiti. The poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Haiti. Peiki Pipov. Nalamiri, that's all legend you can see to. Right? The poorest country in the Americas. Giving Gomez.
bay rapport de yon cyclone ou bien un tremblement de terre qui passe à Haïti. Faut yon di, oh, nous pas di tel combien moun parce que c'est pays qui pi pov nan l'Amérique. Right? Mais faut penser pour qui ça yon di sa chan?
That was Padim IT Puff by Lika Nkoma on her 2020 album, Freedom in the Mix. Now, Lika, you mentioned neocolonialism. Neocolonialism is the imperialist foreign domination of a people indirectly through control of the economy and social system using members of the dominated people as administrators, or as we like to call it, white power and blackface. Now, understanding what neocolonialism is, how is the current crisis also a result of neocolonialism in Haiti? Ohuru. Um, yes, absolutely. The The current crisis is definitely um, as a result of neocolonialism in Haiti, because as we know that Haiti has government leaders that do not work in the interest of our people there whatsoever. In fact, they are installed by the United States government, and that is who they work for and who they answer to and whose interests they function in. And uh, as you said, neocolonialism, um, in a simpler direct, uh, definition, you can say it is white power in blackface. It's when they use um, someone from the group of people that they are oppressing uh, to further the oppression of the group itself. Um, it's like what Barack Obama was in the United States um, in terms of continuing to deepen the oppression of the black community here in the United States. So, you know, because we have a neocolonial government, and as I've said, you know, throughout this interview, when you're looking at Haiti, you're looking at a Haiti that is a country that is, you know, severely impoverished. You're looking at a Haiti without infrastructure. You're looking at a, a, a Haiti without, you know, any institutions. Um, you know, getting a cold or or hitting your foot uh, in something can can mean much more than it should mean because we don't have, you know, whether it's a healthcare institution, uh, you know, education is pretty much non-existent or not in the interest of actually, um, you know, educating the poor and working class Africans there. Um, just everything. There's, you know, there's no workforce. You have this ongoing process of uh, referred to as the brain drain that takes place in a country like Haiti and you know other countries where neocolonialism exists. So all of these conditions make Haiti unlivable. And this is what you know the conclusions that people come to. If you know if it's not to get up and fight, which we, I will say that in Haiti, as we know, has never lost the spirit of resistance. Um, you always hear about uh, resistance and different forms of struggle going on in Haiti. So that, you know, um, the, uh, the spirit of fighting against oppression has never left the people. Um, but besides that, it puts other people in the position to have to make the decision to leave the country for any other country that would accept them or at least take the risk to go and, you know, face um, in the face of all of this humiliation and dehumanization and being sent back to the country. You're listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we're discussing the mass deportation of Haitian people at the U.S.-Mexico border with Elikia Ngoma, the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper. Now, Elikia, shortly after the crisis in Del Rio, the Uhuru movement held a series of protests in defense of the African people from Haiti and cities across the U.S. We demanded a stop to the deportations and reparations to Haiti and all African people. 
You led one of these protests in St. Louis. What can you tell us about that? Uhuru, yes. Uh, the protest that was held here in St. Louis, Missouri, was uh, quite powerful. We had um, a good number of people and a few being from the Haitian community here um, themselves, um, including one who represents an organization that you, he told me used to be quite active here in St. Louis, although at this moment, um, you know, they are not too active. They were called Haitian Concerned and friends, but, you know, in the presentations that were made, uh, I spoke on behalf of the African People's Socialist Party, and of course, as someone uh, with connections to Haiti myself, um, condemning the Biden administration and, um, you know, the United States government for this treatment, as well as providing a historical context of Haiti. Uh, we had a, uh, a solidarity statement from Penny Hess, who was the chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, uh, the organization of white people that works under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party and the African Revolution to raise uh, reparations and extend the African Revolution into the white community. So, you know, we had a solidarity statement with um, African people and, uh, you know, continuing to, to um, condemn, you know, the United States as well. And as I said, we had other speakers. It was um, really moving and really powerful. And just one of the few things uh, or one of the few ways that we will be taking on this question here in St. Louis, Missouri. Because um, after that protest, we actually went into a local Haitian church and passed out uh, propaganda there. We passed out copies of the African People's Socialist Party's 14-point platform, uh, what we want, what we believe, which I've actually translated into Haitian Creole um, sometime earlier this year. So we were able to pass that out, uh, give information about the Uhuru movement in PEDAM and the African People's Socialist Party. And, you know, we will be growing to not only uh, involve the Haitian community here more into the work, but into the African revolution. And then also... Uh, deepening the connection between the whole Black community and Black people from Haiti with one another. Uhuru. Uhuru, Uhuru. Now, do you have any future actions or events planned? Uhuru, yes. Uh, we have a webinar coming up on October 6, 2021. Uh, this is going to be hosted by the African People's Socialist Party. It is going to be on the question of Haiti and the mass deportations. Um, it's gonna be held at 3 p.m. Eastern as the start time, uh, which will be viewable on the Burning Spear newspapers, YouTube channel, uh, The Burning Spear TV, as well as on the Chairman O'Malley Ishatella Facebook like page. Also the African People's Socialist Party's Midwest region uh, will be announcing very soon a webinar also on the same question about Haiti and the conditions of African people at the Del Rio border. So uh, we we intend to continue to talk about this discussion. I also am writing on it for the Burning Spear newspaper, uh, which people can also look at and support as well. Uhuru. Uhuru Alikia. So what should people do to help out with this situation? Uhuru. Um, well, I am a member of a revolutionary organization in the form of the African People's Socialist Party. 
And so I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, the call for people who want to end these kinds of situations has to be to join the African revolution and join the African People's Socialist Party because, you know, what is happening right now is just one instance, you know, and it is not disconnected from other uh, symptoms of colonialism that not only, um, you know, Haitians experience, but other African people around the world experience as well. And so, you know, to help Haiti is really to say to help, you know, a part of the African nation or, you know, to help another part of the African nation and to help the African nation or any part of the African nation, it must be to join the African revolution. So I encourage people to join the African People's Socialist Party or one of its mass organizations because there is a place for everybody who wants to put an end to the system to to find their role in doing so. Uhuru. Uhuru, uhuru. Thanks for that. Thanks for that, Alikia. We would now like to close out the show with Alikia's musical call to action from her album, Freedom in the Mix. The first track is entitled Get Up and Do Something and features Fannie Lou Hamer. The second track is entitled Make the Struggle and features Ella Baker. You can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. And it's no need of running and no need of saying, honey, I'm not going to get in the mess.
a little boy on the streets of Norfolk called me a I struck him back. listening to the People's War Radio Show. Today, we discussed the mass deportation of Haitian people at the U.S.-Mexico border with Elikia Ngoma, the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper. Our theme song, Colonial Virus, was written and produced by Elikia Ngoma. Thanks also to the People's War Radio Show's production, research, and promotions team, 
including Jaja Robinson, Empress Livewire, and Ahipsa Panda. So we say down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. This has been the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WVPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WVPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund. The baddest nonprofit on the planet. Whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community. And address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, health care, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. Thank you for listening. Colonial virus, mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.